I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We are in the uh, middle, actually the beginning, of a, a sermon series uh, that we actually kicked off last week called Meta Narrative. And a meta narrative is a grand story, uh, it is an overarching story that gives uh, meaning and purpose to life. And so what, we, what we're kind of trying to do here as we're reading through Scripture together is we're, what, we're, what we're hoping to accomplish here, what I'm hoping that we'll accomplish, what I'm hoping that you will see uh, is that as we look at Scripture, that Scripture is not just this random collection of stories. It's not just this random collection of events. It's not just this random collection of people. Uh, but there is a grand story. There is a storyline to the Bible uh, that unfolds as we are reading. Reading it, and ultimately, everything that happens in Scripture, everything that happens in the Bible is about Jesus and pointing us to Jesus. And today, we're going to see that more clearly than even last week when we, start, when we talked about creation. So, last week, we were in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And, uh, and we, we looked at the first act, if you will, of this four-act story uh, known as the Bible. And so we looked at how it was that God created the heavens and the earth. And so we're introduced to the main character of this story. The main character is God himself. And so we talked about, you know, what does Genesis 1 and 2 tell us about who God is? Ultimately, it tells us that he is creator, that he has uh, eternally existed. Uh, there's never been a time when he was not. Uh, he brought everything into existence, but he himself was not brought into existence. And so we talked about that last week. And then we also were introduced to a supporting actor, a supporting character, and a supporting role, if you will. And that's you and me. That's human beings. And so God created us, and God created us in a very different way, in a very special way than he created the rest of creation. He created created us, Scripture says, in His image. We were the only part of creation that was created in the image of God. And so we talked about, in, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, kind of all the things that that means that, that we are created in the image of God. And so when we wrapped up at the end of chapter 2 last week, God had created this good world, this perfect creation. And humankind, human beings, were enjoying this perfect fellowship with God their creator and perfect harmony with one another, Adam and Eve. But something went wrong. Something went dramatically, drastically, terribly wrong. Because as you and I sit here today, we know that there is something terribly wrong with our world today. There is relational conflict. Uh, there is emotional and physical pain that all of us experience. There is hopelessness. And there is death. And so how did we get here? What happened to God's perfect creation? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And the short answer is this. We happened. Because we sinned. We're the problem with creation. We're the problem with what's happening in the world today. You and me, we're responsible for it. You may say, well, man, I wasn't there in the garden, Chris. I'm not Adam. I'm not Eve. I wasn't there. Well, Scripture tells us that we participated, even though we weren't there, we participated with Adam and Eve when they brought sin and calamity into the world. We were there. 
We are the problem. So how did we get here? How did Adam and Eve first sin? And what are the, the cataclysmic uh, fallout? What's the cataclysmic fallout of sin? Well, I want you to turn with me in your Bible. So Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you have the YouVersion Bible app downloaded on your smart device, you can open that up. Uh, click on events, search for North Point. My message notes will be there for you as, lo- as well as the text that we're going to be looking at. So Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So I'm going to pause right there for just a moment, okay? Because we're introduced to another supporting character in the story. And that supporting character is Satan himself, or the devil. He's taken the form of the serpent here in our story today. Uh, Satan is called the accuser. Uh, That's literally what uh, his name means, his title means. The devil also means deceiver or liar. And he is the adversary, the main adversary. He is the sworn enemy of God the Creator. And therefore, he's the sworn enemy of God's creation, specifically you and me. Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 44, says this about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is God's main adversary, Satan the devil. He's the father of lies. And so when he speaks, he is lying and he is not telling the truth. And that is vitally important as we move through our story today, okay? So uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse uh, verse 1. Did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from, any, from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit, uh, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves." So here's the first thing I want us to notice from Genesis chapter 3 today, and that is the nature of our sin. The nature of our sin. In fact, what we're going to be looking at here today in this first part of Genesis chapter 3 is really the reason for why we ever sin. We're going to see why Adam and Eve first sin and why we ever sin in the reasons that they first sin. So what is the nature of our sin? Well, first of all, we learn the nature of our sin is unbelief. It's unbelief. We sin because we do not trust God. At the bottom of every single sin is, first of all, the lie that we cannot trust God, that God is not trustworthy. I want you to notice here how Satan tempts Eve and kind of how this first interchange plays out here in Genesis chapter 3. I want you to notice in verse 1. 
Satan says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. Because if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, which we read last week, what did God say? What was the command? What was the instruction? It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. I want you to notice what Satan is doing here. He adds not and omits free. Why does he do this? Because he's emphasizing God's prohibition, not God's provision. Not God's provision. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, he says you can eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden. I mean, we don't know how large the Garden of Eden was, but we can, we can safely say that there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of fruit-bearing trees for Adam and Eve to eat from. Thousands and thousands of them. This was God's provision for them. He wasn't, he wasn't just kind of giving them a little bit. You know, he, he wasn't saying, here, you need to be on a diet. I'm just going to give you a few trees to eat from. No, he gives them thousands upon thousands of trees. This is God's provision. It's abundant. It's huge. It's more than they could ever need. But what does Satan do? He focuses in on the one tree, the one tree in all of the Garden of Eden, of these thousand trees that God has kept from them. Why is he doing this? Because he's trying to get them to see that God is holding something back from them. And he's trying to get them to forget all of God's provision for them. But there's something else going on here. It's really interesting. When Satan talks about God, he refers to him uh, as God, not the Lord God, which we read about in Genesis chapter 2. And this is, this is big. This is huge. Why is this big? Because the word they use here, the term is Elohim, which is creator God. This is, uh, this is the, the term that's used for God throughout Genesis chapter 1. And so it's this big, huge, you know, creator God. He's distant. He's, he's other than you. All these kind of things. But when we get to Genesis chapter 2, we're introduced to uh, Lord God. Which is, which is more of the covenantal uh, language and name for God. And, and it, 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 behind it is this idea of relationship. Relationship that God has with humanity. Relationship that God has with creation, his creation. And so notice what Satan is trying to do in using this different term for God than is used in, throughout Genesis chapter 2. What he's trying to do is create distance between Eve and and God, how she feels about God, her, her relational distance between herself and God. You see, Satan always tries to distance us from God when he tempts us. Because it's very difficult to give in a temptation when you're close to God. But when you feel as though God is distant from you, because of circumstances in your life or uh, you know, because of you know, something that's happened in your life, when you feel distant from God, that's when it's a whole lot easier for you and for me to give in to temptation. When we feel close to God, it's not as easy. And Satan knows this. And so he's trying to create this relational distance between her and God. The effect is that God begins to appear as harsh, restrictive, 
burdensome, unreasonable, and distant. In other words, he is trying to get Eve to believe that God is some kind of cosmic bully. And guess what happens? It works. It works. Because how does she respond to what Satan says in verse 3? But God... Notice it's not the Lord God, it's not the relational, uh, the relational term for God. No, it's this, it's this big creator God, this distant God. See, notice it works. Satan is already beginning to cause this relational distance between Eve and her God. And she even adds to God's prohibition. And you must not touch it, verse 3. God didn't say that in chapter 2. So she adds to it. But I also want you to notice the second interchange between Satan and Eve. Verse 4, he says, You will not certainly die, for God knows that you will eat from it. Your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is Satan doing here? Now that he's kind of created a little bit of relational distance between Eve and God, now he's attacking God's truthfulness. You won't die. I mean, remember, God is this cosmic bully. He is holding out on you. Bullies never have good intentions towards other people. It's always self-serving. It's always about them. And so God is this cosmic bully, Eve. He's holding out on you. And so therefore, you can't trust anything that he says. You eat from that fruit, you're not going to die. Nothing's going to happen to you. Trust me. She's attacking, he's attacking God's truthfulness. But not only that, he's attacking and assaulting God's goodness. Because what do you just say? For God knows. God knows as soon as you eat this, you're going to know the difference between good and evil. See, see Eve, God is holding out on you. He, he's holding something back from you, so therefore he can't be good. Remember, you can't trust him, and so therefore since you can't trust him, you know that when he speaks to you, he's not speaking the truth to you, and therefore he's not good. He's not good. And so first of all, the problem, the nature of our sin is that we do not believe God. We have chosen to believe that God is not trustworthy. But here's the second thing we learn about the nature of our sin, and that is that it is idolatry. At the root of our problem, at the root of our sin problem, is idolatry. Did you know that you and I were created to worship God? Every single one of us are worshipers. There are millions Millions and billions of people that are not engaged in some kind of worship service, religious worship service today, but nevertheless, they are worshipers. Because you and I, because we were made in the image of God, we were made to worship. And we will worship something. We are worshiping something at every moment of every day. 
And what Satan attacks here and how he tempts Eve, now that he's got his foot in the door, is that he's trying to get her to see that God is not worthy of worship. Because he can't be trusted and because he is not good, therefore he is not worthy of worship and therefore something or someone else is. Notice the interchange here, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. So Eve, go ahead. Take of the fruit. Eat of the fruit. Nothing's going to happen to you except for the fact that you're going to be like God. You're going to become God-like. In essence, why don't you just remove God from the throne of your heart and place yourself there? After all, you know better how to rule your life than God does. You know better what will bring you pleasure and joy in your life than God does. You will make a much better God than God. And so why don't you just go ahead, take of the fruit, eat it, and sit on the throne of your heart and be like God. Adam and Eve believed two lies. That God is not trustworthy and therefore not worthy of worship. And let me tell you something. These are the same two lies that you and I believe every time we choose to sin. Every single time we choose to believe that God is not trustworthy and therefore God is not worthy of our worship because when we sin, it's because we place something else above God. Something else on the throne of our hearts. And we believe these same lies, just like Adam and Eve did. What happens next? Let's keep reading. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and he was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Here's the second thing we learned this morning from this text, and that is our instinctive response to our sin. Our instinctive response to our sin. So I brought along a little uh, sermon illustration. I thought I did. What happened to my tree? Where'd my tree? Who stole my tree? Who moved my tree? Where'd my tree go? Somebody stole my tree. I, I put it right here this morning. Where did it go? Did it go back here? Somebody stole my tree. And I'm so bummed because like that was my illustration. I just lost it. Okay. We're gonna have to pretend for just a minute that this is a tree, okay? <laughs> just imagine with me for just a minute, okay? So so get the picture here, okay? So Adam and Eve, have, they've just sinned, all right? They have taken the bite, uh, and they have brought sin into the world. And the first thing that they feel is shame. They feel shame. 
okay? And so they, they, they make some fig leaves and they, and they cover themselves, but all of a sudden they hear God walking through the garden. This was the fellowship that they had, the close relationship they had with him before sin came into the world. And so God is walking through the garden. And so Adam looks at Eve and goes, oh no, dad's coming. That dad's coming. We, we, we got to hide. We got to hide because they knew that they had done wrong, right? And so, and so Adam's like, okay, where can we hide? Where, well, look at all these trees around here. Yeah, that, that's it. Let's, let's find a big tree and let's hide behind the tree and then God won't hear us. Okay, so let's do it. Let's go. Come on, come on. Let's hide. Let's hide. Okay, shh. Be quiet, be quiet. Shh. Okay, there he goes. He's walking by. Let's, you know, maybe he won't know where we are. I mean, he did create everything, right? Like he created us, he created the, the planet, like he created the universe, okay? But, but, but we can hide from him if we hide behind this tree and we stay really still and real quiet. Shh. Where are you? Oh man, we got busted, right? <laughs> we're right here, God. Um, we hid from you because we were naked, Right? This is kind of like, you know, when your kids are really small. I remember when, like, Nathan and Noah were two or so, something like that. You know, we'd play, uh, we'd play hide-and-go-seek in the house, right? Uh, and, and, and you'd say, okay, uh, Nathan, Noah, uh, you go hide, and Dad will count to ten, and then I will come look for you. And what would they do? They'd kind of like, you know, walk over here, and they'd stand, like, right in the middle of the room. They're not hiding behind anything, and they would do this. You know what I'm saying? They'd do this right here. Okay, and they think because they can't see you that you can't see them, right? That's the whole deal, right? And you try not to snicker, but you can't. You know, it you just it just kind of comes out there. Why, you know, why do I say that? Because that's what we do when we sin. We try to hide from God, just like our kids try to hide from us out in the open. I mean, where can we hide from God? Seriously. God created everything. Where are we going to hide from God? And so this is like one of the silliest things that you'll ever read in all of Scripture. Adam and Eve trying to hide from God behind a tree. Okay? But here's the deal. Every single one of us here in this room, we try to hide from God. How do we do that? How do we try to hide from God? Well, first of all, we blame shift, right? We blame shift. This, this text isn't up there for you, but let me just read this for you. So in verse 12, okay, right after God has said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you? Not? I mean, he, he knew this, right? I mean, he knew where they were. He didn't have to ask, where are you? That's, I think that's for our effect, right? But he knew exactly where they were, and he knew exactly that they had eaten from the tree. But listen to what Adam's response is. Human nature, get this. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. What is he doing? He's blame shifting, right? This is the first attempted excuse to give God for our sin. Uh, God, it was, uh, it was the woman you gave me. If she, it's her fault. She made me eat of the fruit of the tree that you commanded us not to. It's her fault, right? And by the way, God, 
you gave her to me, so like you're to blame in all of this too, okay? Like there's enough to go around. It's not my fault, it's her fault, it's your fault, it's somebody else's fault. And Eve, not to be outdone, verse 13 says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, she's passing the buck too, right? She didn't blame it on Adam. I mean, he he was kind of in the background this time. But but it was the serpent. And God, again, you created the serpent. And so if you wouldn't have created the serpent, then, you know, like I wouldn't have have fallen into temptation. So, you know, again, man, you're kind of culpable in all of this. What are they doing? They're blame shifting. It's somebody else's fault. And you and I have never been guilty of that, have we ever in our lives? Man, we learned that one really early on, don't we? Nathan and Noah are constantly blame shifting. It was his fault. He took this from me. It was his fault. He hit me, you know? We're constantly blame shifting. And yeah, we mature and we grow up, but we never leave that. We constantly blame shift. But notice what else we do to seek to hide from God. We rationalize. We rationalize. We compare ourselves to others. And we see this even in the blame shifting that's taking place here. But we begin to compare ourselves to others. Well, yeah, I did this. Yeah, I got caught doing this. But at least I didn't do this that somebody else did. Yeah, I messed up, but I didn't mess up as bad as this other person did, right? And so we compare ourselves, and we can always find someone who's kind of doing it a little bit worse than we are, right? We just can, you know? And so we look for that person, and we, and, and we say that, and it kind of makes us feel better about ourselves. And so we compare ourselves, and in comparing ourselves to others, we're trying to hide from God. But we do something else to try to hide from God. And we attempt to justify ourselves through, of all things, religion. We try to justify ourselves from religion. In verse 7, it says, The eyes of them were both open, and they, were, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You know what this is? This is the first attempt to do a good work to cover shame, to cover our shame. This is the first attempt to make ourselves look more presentable, not only to other people, but to God. Sewing fig leaves together to cover our shame. This is mankind's first attempt to justify themselves through religion. Last summer, we worked our way through the book of Galatians. And Galatians is all about um, Paul attempting to make very clear to to the Christians in the church of Galatia that it's not Jesus plus something else that equals everything, but it's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. And so in the book of Galatians, 
Paul's main opponents uh, are, are these people who say, okay, yes, Jesus, Son of God, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, yes, Jesus, good dude, yes, we should believe in him, but he is not enough. We have to continue to do good works, the good works of the law, if we're going to be acceptable before God and he's going to save us from ourselves. And so what Paul says is, throughout the book of Galatians, man, that's hogwash. That's baloney. There's no truth to that whatsoever. It's Jesus and nothing else. Because you're not relying on your work to make you acceptable before God because no one can make themselves acceptable before God. The only way we can ever be acceptable before God is by trusting in Jesus and what he has done for us and his work accomplished on the cross and that being applied to our lives. That's the only way. That's the only way we'll ever be acceptable before God. But what are Adam and Eve doing here? They're trying to make themselves acceptable to others and to God through good works. And it never works. It never works. And all it is is an attempt to hide our sin from God. That's all it is. And so we see here that our instinctive response to our sin is to hide, to attempt to hide from God. Let's keep reading. Let's see what happens next. Let's skip on down to verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, and painful labor will give you birth uh, to children. For your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and from dust you will return. And let's skip on down to verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Here we come face to face with the devastating consequences of our sin. The devastating consequences of our sin. And real quickly, I just want to kind of run through what those consequences are. And I want you to notice something, that it wasn't just human beings who suffered consequences because of Adam and Eve's sin, but it was all of creation. All of creation suffered, and all of creation has been affected because of our sin. This is how pervasive sin is in our world. So what are the consequences of our sin? First of all, life became painful. One of um, kind of the, the main God-ordained purposes um, for creating Eve was not just to be a helpmate to Adam and a perfect complement to Adam like we talked about last week, but was to be um, kind of the agent through which creation would continue to happen. Okay? All right? And so what, what God says is one of the, one of the things that's going to happen, one of the curses of the fall, is that life is going to become painful. You know, before this moment, before sin entered the world, life was not painful. There was no source of pain in this life. 
None whatsoever. I mean, I know we can't imagine how awesome that would be, but nevertheless, that's exactly how it was before sin entered the world. But because of sin, life is filled with pain. Second, relational conflict. Relational conflict. Notice what what he says to Eve. He says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. What in the world does that mean? Well, scholars are kind of divided on, okay, exactly what does this mean? But at the, at, the, at the bottom of it all, what we can take from this is that there's going to be relational conflict, there's going to be relational strife between a husband and a wife. Now, I know that we've got a lot of really good, probably perfect marriages in here this morning, okay? Uh, but nevertheless, uh, even, you know, every once in a while, you know, sin rears its ugly head in your marriage relationship, and you have a fight, and you have an argument, and you say something that you don't really mean in the heat of the moment, those, th- those kind of things happen, right? I mean, ours is the only relationship where that happens, right? Okay. Okay, come on now. All right, so don't let me hang in. All right, so anyway, so relational conflict. So that's what he's talking about. He's saying, look, I created Adam and Eve to have this perfect relationship. Like it was absolutely perfect. It could not get any better. And then sin entered the world, and all of a sudden there's friction, there's distance, uh, there, there are barriers between them. I mean, just think for just a moment. Fig leaves. Now there's a physical barrier between the two when there wasn't one beforehand. And guys, the reason why your wife spends so much money at the department store is because of sin. Here it is. I'm just kidding. Wives, don't throw anything at me, okay? The reason we have to wear clothes is because we're ashamed. We feel shame, okay? Consequence of sin. There's a relational conflict that happens. Not just between a husband and a wife, but that is the primary relationship. And so from the primary relationship to all of the other relationships, now there's conflict where there didn't used to be. Because of sin. Futility. Notice what he says to Adam. What happens to his work and what happens to the ground he says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I command you, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, uh, and, all, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. So we talked about this last week, that work is not a consequence of sin, Right? God places Adam in the garden to work the garden, Genesis chapter 2 tells us. So work is not a consequence of sin, but our work has become so much harder than it was initially. So God provides all of these trees in the garden for food for Adam and Eve, right? So how hard is it to walk up to a tree and go, boop, and eat from it? Not hard at all. But all of a sudden, because of sin, Okay, now, uh, you know, Adam's going to have to work the ground. Human beings are going to have to work the ground because that's where their food is going to come from. Not that he did away with all the fruit trees and everything. But nevertheless, his, 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 uh, his food is going to come from the ground. And it's going to be through hard, hard toil and, and hard labor uh, that he's going to be able to eat. 
And so the toil that maybe you experience at your work sometimes, maybe sometimes the, um, the feeling of you know, meaninglessness or does this really matter, um, you know, the, the hardness of it, the stress of it, all of these things happen because of sin. And sometimes your work seems like futility. And the reason for that is because of sin. It's affected everything. Notice it also brought physical death into the world. So you and I were created to live forever, forever. And yet one of the consequences of sin is that our bodies break down and eventually we die. Consequence of sin. But as bad as all of those are, as bad as all of those are, the worst consequence of sin is the eternal loss of the presence of God. The eternal loss of the presence of God. Adam and Eve, after they sin, they get kicked out of the garden. And what did the garden represent? It represented the very presence of God. It was the place where God walked through every single day and enjoyed this perfect fellowship with them. Well, all of a sudden, that was lost. Not only was paradise lost, but so is the presence of God. And ever since then, because of our sin, we come into this world separated from God, outside of the presence of God, because we come to this world with a sin nature. We come in this world bent towards sin. All because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and all that they did. So these are the devastating consequences of our sin. But that's not the end of the story. I want you to read with me in verse 15 and verse 21, because here is where we find hope. Verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent here. This is his curse. And between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Verse 21, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. Here we are introduced to the only cure for our sin. The only cure for our sin. I want you to notice three things. First of all, in spite of their sin, God showed them grace. God showed them grace. So immediately upon sinning, they see that they're naked, they feel shame. Uh, they run to the nearest tree, and, and, they, and they make fig leaves for themselves to cover themselves so they don't feel ashamed anymore. But all that really did was cover their physical shame. It didn't cover the shame they felt in their hearts. But nevertheless, let's just think about this for a moment. How long would fig leaves last? A couple days? You know, maybe a week if, you know... You found some really strong ones and you put them together really well, you know, but let's, they're not going to last any time at all, right? Fig leaves. And so what does God do? God provides something for them that will last. Clothes made out of animal skin that would last a lot longer than fig leaves would. Do you recognize and realize what this is? This is an act of God's grace. It's an act of God's grace. He could have just kicked them out of the garden into the big bad world wearing fig leaves, but he didn't do that. 
He showed them grace right after they sinned, right after they brought all of these devastating consequences into God's perfect creation. He showed them grace by giving them clothes that wouldn't wear out. But second, we also see here that in order for God to extend grace, something had to die. In order for God to show them grace, in order for God to give them clothes that were made out of animals, animals had to die. Something had to die in order for God to be able to show them grace. And so what we see here is that sin is costly. Sin always costs us something terrible. But because God loves us so much, he is willing to exact a toll on himself and pay a price himself in order to show us grace and extend to us grace. In giving Adam and Eve these clothes made with skin, he was exercising grace, but also showing them something at the same time that me showing you grace, me giving you grace, me extending you grace, is gonna, it, it's costly because sin is costly. But in killing an animal to be able to give them clothes and extend to them grace, he's foreshadowing something that would happen years down the line. It's something that would just continue to to happen throughout, uh, throughout Jewish religious history, something that God would give them that would foreshadow someone that was to come. And that's what we see here in verse 15. God would ultimately extend grace to us by sending his son Jesus to die in our place. You may say, well, where do we see Jesus in all of this? Verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. This is not just talking about why human beings have a fear of snakes and why snakes have a fear of human beings, okay? I've told you about my own fear of snakes here before, okay? So it's not just talking about that, although it kind of traces from that, okay? But he's talking about something much deeper here. He says, he will crush your head. This is the woman's offspring, Eve's offspring, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Ultimately, this is a prophecy, the very first prophecy about Jesus. And what I want you to notice is that from the very beginning, at the moment that sin entered the world, the moment that it began to have its it's catastrophic effects on all of creation that God already had a plan. And his plan was to eventually send Jesus himself to give of his own life, to shed his own blood so that God the Father could extend grace and mercy to you and to me. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we have a prophecy about Jesus. And that's why I say that literally 
Everything in Scripture, everything in this meta-narrative, this grand story, is preparing us for and is pointing us to Jesus, the coming Savior, the coming Messiah, who would give His life as an atoning sacrifice for you and for me, because that was the only way to undo what Adam and Eve had done when they brought sin into the world. And would be the ultimate demonstration of how much God loves you and how much, how much God loves me. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that even though we have brought sin into your world, into your perfect creation. And God, the effects of sin have been so pervasive and have been so devastating. God, we see the effects of sin every single day in our relationships, in our world. But God, thank you that you it didn't just give us what we deserved. But God, you showed us grace by eventually sending your son Jesus to deal with our sin problem in a way that nothing else could. And showing us how much you loved us and showering down upon us your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your provision for us in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.